So you were singing that song, I was <clears throat> thinking about something and I was wrestling with the Lord whether or not how to share this, but maybe just, this, this might work and maybe it won't. If it doesn't, just you have the next permission for the next 90 seconds to go to the Bahamas. Most of you are going there anyway for the next 30 minutes, so it doesn't matter. Um, I uh, drove by uh, a bar, <laughs> Molly Quinn's, anybody, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you know where <laughs> Molly Quinn's is. But it went out of business. Uh, Molly Quinn's went out of business. It's on Lake Street. Uh, and uh, um, I don't have favorite bars. I don't go to bars a lot. But that was a really cool one. It had Irish music. Guys playing the Irish, you know, things in the corner and the whole thing. You could get, you could get uh, uh, Irish Coca-Cola or whatever you wanted there. <laughs> and um, just a fun, fun place. And it went out of business. I, I, I was dark. It was dark. It was like 7 o'clock at night. And I drove by. I thought, What? And I'd only been there about two or three times since they moved there. They moved there in March and uh, for a burger or whatever, you know. And, and uh, they do. They have burgers, and I've, I've been there. But, uh, and so I went on the website. They have a website, and it says that they closed. And I guess they closed because of the smoking ban and all that. And personally, you know, if you smoke, whatever. It's, you know, I mean, it's not good for you. But, I mean, there's worse things. Eating a Big old fat cheeseburger is not good for either. So, I mean, I'm not making a statement about that. I just like the clean air, you know. I'm not a smoker. So, it was, yeah. Well, yeah. The other half of the room that smokes just is going to come afterwards and get you. But I, don't, I, really don't, I really don't care a whole lot if you smoke. I mean, that's, that's a big deal. But it just was nice to be in there. And so I liked it because of that. Anyway, I go on the website, and there's like, they go, the, it says the Molly Quinn family. And they have like 50 pictures of people that go to this bar. And it is. It's, it's not like a bar bar. It's kind of like a, if you've been there, you know, it's kind of this group. There's this big circle where people grab an instrument and start playing and a whole fun thing. And I thought, well, their church is gone. Where are they going to go? They're just separated now. And as I thought about that, I've been thinking about this ever since last night, and I was talking to Carol about this too, that there's a third place. Have you ever heard that phrase, third place? First place is where you live, second place is where you work. And your third place is kind of where you, you hang out. You let it all go out. And I love this church. This is my third place. I hope this is your third place. Maybe you have a fourth place too. That's fine. But uh, as they were singing, uh, it made me think of the songs that were sung at Molly Quinn's. And they're fun, Irish, weird songs. But there's nothing about singing about Jesus. There's just something about that that binds you together. And I like to think of this sanctuary. It is. It's 170 degrees from where Dave's sitting all the way over to here where Mike is sitting. It's 170 degrees. I measured it one day. I know, I have nothing better to do in my life. <laughs> think of it as half of a campfire. Okay, it's a big campfire, but think of it as sitting around a campfire with your friends. And I like the way this whole thing is laid out because of that. I hope this is your, your place like that. The reason I bring all this up is because of what do you sing about? What is it that, that lights your soul up? The most important question you can ask is, who are you, Lord? Who, what is your Lord? Who is it that you're following? What is it that gives you joy? What is it that makes you significant? What is it when life brings all kind of disappointments and we've all been through them, we've all been through them this week, what is it bottom line that sets you apart and says, you know what, I'm going to make it, it's okay? That's the most important question. That's the question for you. First one on your, on your list in the morning and last one when you go to bed at night. The world has been asking the question, who is Jesus Christ for centuries and centuries and centuries? I did a little web search this, 
on this and got some images of who, who people think Jesus is. The first one here is just kind of is a lot of you that maybe grew up in a very uh, uh, traditional or hierarchical or, or high church, they might call it. You might have an image like this of Jesus, that you have this, this ancient, he's proper, he's, he's, he's no, there's no funny business about him whatsoever. It's just all in order. Those of you who come from the Democrat side of the room, which I think probably this side of the room, is that the left? Yeah. Uh, this side, you, you probably wear a t-shirt like this. Jesus is a liberal. Those of you over here, the right half of the room would wear one of those. Jesus is a Republican. There we go. <laughs> then you got those of you who kind of take Jesus and, and, and there's, there's kind of mysticism to him. It's Jesus is just all right by me. Doobie Brothers, you know. Um, there's this whole concept of... of uh, uh, Hari Krishna, Hari Ram, uh, that's the, the Beatles, uh, not Beatles, who is it that sung that? John Lennon? George Harrison, thank you. Um, you know, that, that whole thing, they mix in Christianity with everything else, and there's kind of this image of Jesus, where he's kind of the enlightened one, he's the guru. These are just images I took off, off the internet. Um, what's that? Yeah. It actually is. I, 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 don't, I didn't know the guy's name, but yeah, it was painting, and it just showed some Hare Krishna website I took that off of. Yeah, a lot of fasting, I imagine, to get something like that. <laughs> then if... No, I mean, it's just it's fine. I mean, he's just, he's out there. I mean, these guys are out there. Then, then uh, if you're really anti-government, you'd have an image of Jesus like this. Jesus was a dissident. That kind of picture of Jesus kind of looking at you like Uncle Sam, but with this angst face. Or if you're the modern, typical American evangelical, you kind of have a picture of Jesus like this. Hey! <laughs> Come on to my church, hey! She's a buddy of mine, right? That almost looks like a Ronald McDonald outside like a church or something, you know, doesn't it? Isn't that great? Gosh, I don't even know where that came from. That's hilarious. You may have seen this painting. When you think of Jesus, oftentimes the image that comes to your mind is this one right here. You've seen this picture often. Go to the, there you go. It's just this American Jesus, you know? Really, he's a, he doesn't have blue eyes, but he's darn close. He doesn't have the olive skin. He has American features. He's got a short beard. He's got only kind of long hair, you know, because, you know, most pictures have really long hair. He's very attractive. He's kind of a man's man. That's the, the look that we've given Jesus. Maybe that's a picture you've seen. What is the image that comes to mind when you think of Jesus Christ? That is the most important question you can have. Who is Jesus Christ? I don't care if you're this, here this morning and you were like uh, our, our brother uh, James here who said he's from six, he was six years old when he first trusted Christ or whether you're here this morning and you're thinking, I'm not even sure why I'm here. I don't, I don't even know who this Jesus is you're talking about. It doesn't matter. What is your image of Christ? That's the big question. That's what we're going to spend roughly the next year in the book of John looking at. We're going to look at this part two. Part one was the first 18 verses. Part two is from verses 19 of cha chapter one all the way through chapter 12, which is going to, I laid it out during my study break here, and it's going to take us right about till Christmas time of next year. And the, the big question is going to be, is going to be, who do you say that I am? And every week, we're going to, every week we're going to try to answer that question. Who is Jesus? After we look at this passage, 
Who is Jesus? My hope and my prayer for myself and for you is that after this year of looking at Jesus, that our lives are going to be transformed by looking at Jesus. I really think that's what happens when you look at Jesus. If you really see him for who he is, you get changed. And that's my hope in this series. You guys and I, I'm really in looking forward to this. Okay, we're going to pick it up in verse 19. So if you want to grab a Bible, there, hopefully there's some of those John booklets still around. I don't know if, I hope they're still around the pews. Um, we'll restack the pews if they're not. But you can have one of those if you'd like one. We're going to be in the Gospel of John here for a while, at least another year, two or four or whatever, however long it takes. And we're going to pick it up in verse 19. We're going to see an event. The first 18 verses were, were like an introduction to the, to the uh, Gospel of John. It took us 10 weeks to get through 18 verses. This week we're going to, like I said, we're going to start doing chunks. And this week we're going to do verse from 19 to 28. And this event is the event that triggers the start of Jesus' ministry. This is it. This baby, when this happens... All of a sudden, now you'll see in the book of John, it says the next day this happens, and the next day this happens, and the next day this happens. And over there, we're going to see the first week, all the way through chapter 2, when he does his first miracle. It, it's just in a one-week span. It's so all this happens real quickly now, once this event happens. We're going to look at that event this morning in, in chapter 1, starting in there. So let's take a look at this. Chapter 1, and um, what's going to happen here is, is we're going to have an interrogation. John the Baptist is going to be interrogated by some people. All right, so we got John the Baptist here, and he is going to be questioned by some people. We've already met John the Baptist. So before we get into the passage, let me refresh you. We've already met him in chapter 1. In chapter 1, verses 6 through 8, it says, There came a man from... There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a, t- as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. And then if you skip to verse 15, it says, John testifies concerning him. He cries out saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Again, that's kind of cryptic speak, but John is first on the scene, on the ministry scene. We'll see that in just a second. And he's also older than Jesus. He's six months older than Jesus. He and Jesus are related. They probably hung out. They probably knew each other. Um, Some people think that Mary and Elizabeth were cousins. It's possible they were at least relatives. I'm not sure exactly what that word means, a cousin or relative in the the original language. But they they knew each other. And so somehow somehow these two knew each other and, and now... John is going to unveil. Okay, let's pick this up here. What's going on here first, this, this, uh, um, this interrogation? Verse 19 of chapter 1. Now this was John's testimony when the Jews of Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. Okay, so just stop right there now. We're going to kind of go through this passage just one time. We're going to kind of make observations, ask some questions along the way, see kind of what's going on. And you just got to stop here and think. Something's happening so that John is, is out baptizing people by the Jordan River in the middle of the desert. And something happens so that these people in Jerusalem, which is kind of the headquarters of all the religious activity, send this delegation out to go and talk with them. And I just want to take a minute to meet the players. The first one is John. We kind of talked about him already. We can find out from uh, Matthew... I got it written on the screen, don't have it here. From Matthew 3 and Luke 3, we see that John is kind of a wild man. 
All right? it, it talks about him and it says that he, he goes and he preaches out in the desert. He's baptizing people. He eats locusts and wild honey. Now, I don't exactly know what that means other than ye, locusts and just wild honey. So I don't know if he like went and got the bees off it or something. It just was a, a man's man or whatever the deal was. Bit him with the bees still on it or I don't know. And then it says he, he wore a camel hair coat. Now, when we think of a camel hair's coat, I don't think of a rough, tough guy. But in those days, that was a, a rough, tough thing. And he had a leather belt, it says. I don't get that either. That just, you know, I think we all have leather belts now. But that meant, that implied like he's this man's man. I think when I, when I picture, um, well, I just, I took some time yesterday and I messed around with Photoshop. And I, and I just took, and, and I made a picture of what I think John the Baptist looked like. And see, is this what I think he would look like? Yeah. I think Gimli, <laughs> I really do, I think Gimli was John the Baptist, huh? He had an Irish accent too. Matter of fact, if you read these things from, from John in an Irish accent, it's just so much better. <laughs> anyway, um, I want to read you a little bit about John so you get a feel of who this guy is. From, from Luke chapter 3, um, you read a little bit about what John says. Luke chapter 3, starting in verse 7, it says, John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, you brood of, you brood of vipers. No. Um, you brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not, say, and that, and do not begin to say to yourselves, don't even, don't even start with me. Don't begin to even say it. We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees. And every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. This guy's a nut. Okay, He's out in, in the middle of the desert preaching his stuff. And people are coming like by droves. It says the crowds were coming to John. Now, I don't know a whole bunch about this, but I've read enough. I've read enough about church growth, how to grow a church, okay? He breaks about every single rule right here, all right? Rule number one, dress so that they're comfortable. Hmm? Huh? Camel's hair and leather belt. I don't know. Wild tunics, all those kind of things. Number two, speak to them kindly. Speak to them in, in, a, in, a, in a way that they understand. You brood of vipers, who warned you about the coming wrath. Isn't that amazing? In other words, I wish you didn't hear so you just all croak. Wow. Thanks, John. I feel so welcomed in your church here. <laughs> then location, they say, is key. Make sure you got a good location. He goes out to the middle of the desert. Stone, you, you want to follow me? You come after me. And, and the last thing that, that he has is, um, you know, let people ease themselves into the church. That's, it's a rule, basically. Don't just put too much pressure on them. Right now, he's telling them. You right now. Produce fruit that's in keeping with repentance. He, he just breaks every single rule. But that's John. John is a wild man. What should we do then, the crowd asked. John answered, the man with two tunics should share with him who has none, and the one who has food should do the same. Tax collectors came to him to be baptized. Teacher, they said, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you require, do he told them. They told them. Then some soldiers asked him, what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. The people were waiting ex expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Christ. Ah. Hmm. 
John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one more powerful than I will come, the throngs of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, and he will burn up the chaff with the unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and preached the good news to them. But when John rebuked Herod the Tetrarch because of Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the other evil things he had done, Herod added this to them all. He locked John up in prison. And that's finally going to be John's demise is Herod's going to take his life. This is just a straight shooter, man. How do you like my dress? It makes you look fat, okay? I mean, this guy, you ask him a question, boom, he just nails you with... Honesty on steroids, all right? This guy is right back at you. That's John. That's John. And that's what he's doing out in the desert when this, when this delegation comes out to him. This delegation is met up with other kinds of people. One is Levites and priests. Now, who are Levites and priests? Levites and priests were, were, were set apart uh, by God as one of the tribes of Israel, or one of the half-tribes of Israel, and their job was to handle the holy things, handle the temple, minister unto God, be the, the go-between between people and God. And so they ministered in the temple area. And here's a picture of what the, the second, second temple looked like. That, that's a model of it, obviously. But their job was primarily that. They knew the Old Testament, all the rules and regulations really well. Then it says, if you skip down in your passage and look at verse 24, there's some other people that came with, G, or with the, these Levites and priests, and they were called Pharisees. Who were the Pharisees? The Pharisees, actually, we give them a... We, yeah, there they are. That's Hamlet and I, actually. Uh, a little Photoshop there. Um, the, the Pharisees, actually, were a pious bunch of groups that formed together... Uh, when they overthrew a government by Epiphanes, Antiochus Epiphanes, there in, in uh, 175 to 163 BC. This guy was trying to exterminate the Jews. And this group, this militant group called Pharisees, came along and stopped them. So th they're, they're, in a lot of ways, good guys. They loved the Old Testament. That's all they had at the time, but they loved it. They loved it so much that they got very meticulous in how you followed it. In fact, they created another whole bunch of rules to make sure that you stayed far away from breaking the real rules. Okay, so they had this other book that you had to follow in addition to the, the Bible that kept you far away from breaking any of the rules. They had this huge oral tradition about how it was supposed to be obeyed. And, and there's about 6,000 of them in the time of Jesus. There's about 6,000 of these Pharisees in the time of Jesus. Most of the priests and the Levites didn't belong to this group. They belonged to another group called the Sadducees, which also believed in the Bible and didn't like some of the Pharisees' strict understanding of the Scriptures and kind of they added things to them. Okay, so here you got these two groups. They're, they're not really, you know, they're not really tied in with each other, but they come to see John the Baptist. All righty. Let's get back to the interrogation. What's the interrogation all about? Starting in, uh, going to verse 20, uh, chapter 1, verse 20. This is John, he says, He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Christ. They asked him, Then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, No. Okay. The people were waiting for a Messiah. That's, that you, you can see that all over the Old Testament. They were waiting for the Messiah to come. A lot of people thought, whoa, here's the nut out, and it must be him. And at that time, there were a lot of people claiming to be the Messiah. 
It was just kind of a common thing, and a relatively common thing. And so these people were coming, and they were going to find out if he's the Messiah. If he claims he is, they were either uh, they were just going to dismiss him, basically, or ignore him, or, or do something about it. John says, I'm not the Messiah. Now, it gets a little trickier, though, and they said, are you Elijah? Am I Elijah? No. What, what are you talking about? And that's, the reason for that is from an Old Testament prophecy in Malachi 4, where the prophet... Malachi prophesies as God is speaking to him and says, See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers, or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. And so that's what they were waiting for. This, this, when this day of the Lord was coming, Elijah was supposed to come back. So I ask him, are you Elijah? And he says, no. And he says, are you the prophet? Well, what's he talking about here? And this is actually a very famous Passage in Deuteronomy chapter 18. Moses is speaking and he says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own brothers. You must listen to him. And so they expected, the Jewish people expected Elijah and they expected this prophet to come before the Messiah or at the same time as the Messiah or before the end of the world. These people were supposed to come. And, in fact, you'll find out two other times in the book of John, when Jesus' ministry starts getting going and he starts to get recognized, they ask him the same thing. Are you the, are you the prophet? In chapter 6, they say, after the people saw the miraculous signs that Jesus did, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who's coming into the world. Chapter 7, on hearing his words, some of the people said, surely this man is the prophet. And that's what they're talking about. This prophet that, that Moses said was coming. And he says, no, I'm none of those. Well, then, then who are you? John, or going to verse 22 then, continuing on. Finally, they asked, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. Who do you say about yourself? This delegation has come, and now you're not giving us an answer. To say, who are you? Why are you doing all this? What's going on? Tell us something so we can go back and tell those who sent us. In other words, we're just kind of the messengers here. The Pharisees, or excuse me, the, uh, the Levites and the priests were kind of like the lawyers, those in the know, and the Pharisees were kind of like the muscle. They're kind of like the hitman. You'll see that in just a second. Uh, and, and their group was there. Give us an answer. John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the desert. Make straight the way for the Lord. It's a pretty awesome quote. He quotes Isaiah 40. Let me, let me take you there just for a second. He, takes, he quotes Isaiah 40, which says, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all mankind will see it, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. This passage was given at a time when it, the, the people of Israel were spread all over the place, and they were all going to come back. So for, for John the Baptist to say, I'm that guy. I'm that guy. He's saying something big is coming. Something huge is coming. The fulfillment of Isaiah 40 is coming. I'm the one, all I'm doing though, listen, I'm just a guy with a chainsaw. And I'm just cutting trees out of the way to make this highway. That's my job. 
I'm just yelling in the desert here. Okay, but I'm, I'm getting something ready. So the interrogation then escalates. The Pharisees who had been sent questioned him, why then do you baptize if you're not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? That was a huge question. That was the ultimate issue. John the Baptist, by his name, was baptizing. And to be a person who baptized was a radical thing back then. In other words, at that time, to, to baptize someone generally meant that they were very unclean or they're very unworthy. They certainly weren't a Jewish person. If a person wanted to become a Jew, they could, and they, they were born as a non-Jew, as a Gentile, they could become baptized, go through other rituals, and they could become a Jew. That was part of it. They, they, they did the baptism thing because they viewed them as very unclean people. That's not who John is baptizing. John is baptizing Jewish people. It's radical. And the Pharisees are like, who gives you the authority to do that? Who gives you the authority to call our people unclean? And so they're ticked about it. John is saying that everyone, not just Gentiles, but everyone is unclean and needs to turn. Needs to turn. Look at how John responds. He doesn't, he doesn't really answer their question. Who gives you authority? Why, why then do you baptize? He says this. I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me. The throngs, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. This is the absolute moment the highest moment in John's ministry. In fact, from that moment on, it is coming down. That's the highest moment. He says, I'm here. I'm a voice calling out in the wilderness. I'm the one who's preparing this way. I'm ripping down the trees so the highway can be made. But you know what? There's someone among you. You don't know him yet. By the end of this week, you're going to know him. But right now, you don't know him. And I'm not even worthy to undo his thong, the thongs of his sandal. I'm not even worthy to do that. And that was something that uh, you got to understand those days, those are very dirty feet. And the, the, the lowest of slaves, the lowest of servants would do that. John says, I'm not even worthy to do that. Now, how do you apply this? I think there's two things. First thing is, we've got to constantly ask this question, is, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? We only get one picture of him here. This is one of the spots where we're just going to get one snapshot. He's worthy, right? That's the only thing we're getting. I'm not worthy to undo his sandal, so therefore he is, he's much more worthy than I am. But you've got to understand, to really get inside the mind, you've got to understand where John's at. John is a celebrity. There are crowds following him. He's breaking every rule of how to get crowds to follow you, and crowds are following him. He is big shot. But he puts Christ up higher. Who is Jesus? He's worthy. Now to flip that question around, 
And I think it's just as relevant as in how do you view yourself? How do you view yourself? Do you feel like you have to be what other people expect you to be? Just think about that now. Think if John did what good, normal, religious people did in those days. He would have hung around the temple. He would have done all the right things. But that's not what God... God called him to be a gimli out in the wilderness. And that's what he did. Do you struggle with making your service to Jesus about you? Maybe you lead a Bible study. Maybe you just like to talk to your friends about Jesus Christ. Maybe you're preparing to be a missionary. Maybe you're trying to go into pastoral ministry. Maybe you're trying to do all kinds of different things. Is there any hint of it being about you? Or is it about Christ? This is, by the way, the number one struggle that anyone in ministry goes through. Last, let's see, uh, today's Sunday. Yesterday was Saturday. Huh? Huh? Uh, two, two weeks before that was Christmas Eve. <clears throat> I went through on Christmas Eve uh, something that had never, ever happened to me before. I stood up here, like the dream, I don't know if you, if if you don't do public speaking, maybe I'm going to have her this dream, but I have the dream, you know, where you're standing, speaking, and you realize I'm naked, but no one else is, you know? Well, no, I wasn't naked on Christmas Eve, but I, uh, I could not find my sermon. It was stacked, a bunch of, a series of unfortunate events happened, where I had two, it was two page sermon, okay? I had page one, I got halfway done. I had a stack of stuff like this, and then I had all of Tim's music in there, and it, it got lost. I mean, it was gone. And it, unfortunately, it was at one of those spots where I really was done saying everything that I knew what to say, and I reached over to go like that, and I got Tim's music. And I went, okay, and I kind of just didn't know what else to say, and I kind of, I I'm feeling about 3,000 degrees, you know, going through my body. It's like, okay, it's here somewhere, you know, I'm... And finally, I just had to say, you know, this has never happened before. I've never lost my, my sermon before. <clears throat> it's Christmas Eve, folks. You know, in my profession, that's like, you know, that's... <laughs> you can screw up the rest of the year. Just don't mess Christmas Eve, all right? And I'm up here messing up. Afterwards, I went to my office, and I'm sitting there thinking, man, <laughs> that stunk. That really stunk. Now, to the average person, they're like, I know, big. you stink every week, so it's not a big deal. But to me, I was like, oh, man, that was really the worst. And then it hit me, as it always does, the Lord saying in a very still voice, since when did this ever become about you? Since when did this ever become about you? This has never been about you. The best you ever are is a pointer to the king. That's all you ever are. You pointed to me. You pointed to me. It's all good. John the Baptist is a pointer to the king. If you ever become a pointer to yourself, break your finger. Last thing about it I want to say is that whether you think too highly or too little of yourself, any preoccupation with yourself is pride. Any preoccupation with yourself is pride. Be like John the Baptist. Be a pointer to the king in everything. Let's pray together.
God, I think of in my life and just how many different areas I am such a failure. Um, God, even those areas where I try really hard sometimes, I still fail. And I'm so comforted. I'm so comforted that life, that this church, that ministry is not about me, that it's about you, that the success of my family is not about me, that it's about you. God, right now this morning, that is a freeing message to many in this room. There's a lot of pressures on them for a lot of different things. You know what? It is not about them. And I pray that they would be able to bend their knee to you and say, Jesus, it is about you. Lord, some of the things we're struggling with this morning, some of the things you brought into this room, 10 years from now, 10 days from now won't mean anything. But certainly not 100 years, 1,000 years from now, they mean nothing. God, give us that kind of perspective. Give us that perspective that knows who we are living for. Give us that perspective to know that, that we're not worthy to be followers of you and yet you've given us it as a gift. So I pray that into everyone's life who's here, Lord, that we would be given the John the Baptist gift to not take ourselves too seriously, to just relax and to be a pointer to the king, to be a voice in the wilderness crying out, prepare the way of the Lord. God, I pray for that. I pray that not only in our public ministry to other people, but I pray for it in our private lives, that we wouldn't take ourselves too seriously. We'd give it our best shot, but know that we're going to fail at times, God, and it's about you and not about us. So I pray for that, Jesus. I pray more than anything, just like John the Baptist, that you'd give us a picture this week that would radically change us, that we'd see you as worthy of everything we go through. Whatever cares and concern are in this room, God, may you be worthy of them all. May there be such an image and a vision in people's mind and in their heart of who you are that it's worth it. Pray this in Christ's name.